All right. This is the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. My name is Miguel Torres, and our special guest is Myrna Gillis. Myrna is the CEO and co-founder of Aqualitas, a a vertically integrated multi-cannabis license holder and producer of organically grown cannabis and value-added products distributed domestically in Canada and internationally. She is a disabilities advocate and practiced law in the vulnerable services sector for 25 years before joining the cannabis industry in 2014. Motivated by a desire to promote access to medical cannabis through research, innovation, and sustainability, she has led her team to highlights including Grow Up's 2021 Innovation Technology Award, Canada's 2020 Grower of the Year Award, a Spark Innovation Award, and Clean Tech Energy Award for Cultivation, as well as 16 Canadian provincial and federal research grants. Myrna received her Queen's Council designation for excellence and integrity in the practice of law and was a business leader bronze award winner in 2019. She is a board member on the Cannabis Council of Canada and a board advisor for the Council for Federal Cannabis Regulation and has volunteered for various disabilities and social justice organizations over the last three decades. Myrna, (laughs) how are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. Right on. So Queen's Council, we were talking about this just a little bit before we hit the record button, and that means you are a trained lawyer, as we just talked about. And I want to ask you that, like, because it's a, it's a law to cannabis. It's interesting. So what I want to ask you, why law? Well, uh, for me, I guess the first part of the why law is um, I had uh, a fairly unconventional uh, family in many respects. Um, I come from a big family uh, and I've got 87 first cousins and, uh, you know, uh, our family was one of the first that uh, had uh, kids go to university. And uh, 87 first cousins. I have 87 first cousins. I had, there's oh 11 gosh. in my dad, my mom's family, and there were nine kids in my father's. And, uh, you know, you, you want to talk about the Christian side of the podcast, you know, we can, <laughs> uh, we can get into a little bit of that later, but uh, so, so it was a big thing, uh, you know, for us to, to go to university and my two sisters uh, were both that lawyers before me as well. So uh, my oldest sister's uh, 15 years older than I am. And uh, uh, one of the things, uh, you know, at, at that point uh, was very unconventional for women to go to law school. And, um, you know, I really um, attribute both of, you know, our, our, our confidence to, to get post-secondary education and then go on to graduate level education was in, you know, in large part to my parents, you know, who were very, very much valued education and equality and really promoted uh, that we as young women could, could do anything. And so we went into, you know, my, particularly my oldest sister, uh, you know, she did a business degree. Uh, There were three women in her class at that point in time. And when she went to law school, there were 35 women in her class. So. Okay. So um, I got a quick question, Myrna. I'm sorry. I just, I'm curious about the time, the distance between in time between the three, the class that she had was only three women and then 35. Yeah. So my sister graduated from uh, law school in 1978 and I graduated in 1991. Okay. So by the time I graduated, it was, you know, it was 50, 50. It was, it was, that wasn't, uh, you know, as much of a, um, a stretch, you know, for, for attendance at law school, it was, it was pretty much a parody at that point in time, but 
but I think early on when I was very young, I was, I was quite inspired by, you know, by the roles that my sister had taken and my second sister, uh, so my oldest sister was Deborah and, and my second sister, Andre, she, she graduated from law school in 1984. Uh, and so, you know, I had, I had those examples and I had obviously, you know, the worth at work ethic and examples of my parents, but um, we very much grew up in a culture to serve. Uh, that was our, you know, and, and to, to, to help others. And, and so, I came from it, you know, really from a place of uh, wanting to be able to do that. And um, the area of law that I picked was, 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 you know, allowed me, allowed me to do that. And so um, I graduated in 1991 and then I went on, I, I did clerkship at the court of our, our Supreme Court here, the Court of Appeal. I worked for, I just did my articles at a large firm and then I, I actually went to work with my sister um, at, at, at her firm. And that was an all women firm as well at that right point on. in time, which was really um, very supportive and an and interesting environment that let me sort of do the things that I wanted to do. And I built a practice up from literally from, from zero, you know, to uh, in the vulnerable services sector. So to me, it was important uh, to work with with individuals that were disenfranchised uh, who needed a voice. And so um, I did work with um, transition houses for women leaving domestic violence, uh, them and their children. I had worked with homeless shelters, uh, very often with uh, mostly male populations, but also female populations that had, you know, so sort of comorbid issues with drug addiction, uh, mental health issues. Um, I worked with persons with physical disabilities, uh, persons with intellectual disabilities and vocational agencies, residential homes. Um, and, and so I was very privileged to, to do that work and, and to support uh, those communities. Um, I also did labor and employment work um, with Children's Aid Society. So I worked very closely with sort of NGOs and organizations that supported persons in the vulnerable services sector. And I, I did that for the majority of my career for well, in 25 years and uh, as, as, a, as a lawyer, you know, a, a, just doing law. And I, at that point in time, especially on the disability side of things, I, I was starting to get calls. Sometimes I represented individuals, not just institutions that supported persons with disabilities. And you know, they were saying, look, Myrna, I, I, I'm thinking I'm going to go back to work. And I, you know, what impact will that have on, you know, this benefit or that benefit? And I'm like, you're, you're, you know, and this, my experience had been that if, if, if folks with disabilities weren't back in the workplace, usually within two years, the chances of them going back was, was very low to none. Okay. And, uh, and so, uh, when I started to get a few calls, and this would have been in the, you know, the probably the late 90s um, okay. that, that I was starting to see, you know, early 2000s. Um, and this was following in Canada, um, cannabis uh, access really started in 1992. And there was a trilogy of Supreme Court of Canada cases. And one of the things that I'm really proud about, you know, there's there's all kinds of lawyer jokes out there, and I'm, I've heard all of them. Um, but uh, uh, you know, one thing I'm particularly proud about in the Canadian judicial system is that we do have a Charter of Rights, which is uh, uh, instills, you know, minority rights, uh, because obviously when we live in a society where, um, you know, we uh, often it's the majority rules and, and what uh, and, and so what happens often is minority rights or disenfranchised individuals 
get lost in the shuffle and, you know, in our different levels of government. Um, and so uh, in Canada, the charter had a allowed access to cannabis. Uh, it was in 1992, a case called Parker, and it was about an individual who had a possession charge and, and was able to convince the court that, that he needed that for medicine and that uh, he should possession of marijuana yeah, possession possession of marijuana and um and so you know that started sort of the access to cannabis in, in canada was in 1992 and then later on you know there was was smith and other cases that sort of expanded that right not just to dry cannabis but to other forms of cannabis and its derivatives uh and and so i was interested from a social justice point of view because a lot of the folks for example in homeless shelters um you know access to to medical cannabis was seen certainly from an opiate reduction point of view from a harm reduction point of view um you know there, there was often restrictions for example taking needles into facilities um because of uh, you know safety concerns and so uh you know there was always dialogue around um less harm and harm reduction you know in some of those populations and so that's that sort of was the early part of my interest was from a social justice point of view and access point of view and a harm reduction uh, coming out of my, my my client population and then later when I started to see people going back to work you know and so not just harm reduction but actually you know evolving their 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 quality of life um I was asking, you know, what is it that you're, you're doing? And they said, well, look, I, I, you know, I started using cannabis and I, you know, I, I, I'm, I've started getting off, you know, um, really uh, addictive or, or intoxicating pharmaceuticals that were really interfering with my ability to have quality of life, not only, you know, just to do the activities of daily living, but to interact with my family and, and to have such lofty ambitions of returning to work, you know? And so, I, at that point, I thought, well, this is really, you know, this is really interesting uh, to me. There's, there's, there's something here because these were people that I, you know, I saw them suffer and, you know, you, you helped them sort of along their journey and you wanted to support them whatever way you can. But, you know, realistically, the supports very often in the legal system are just monetary. You know, you, you might you might get a settlement or you might. And while that obviously does help your security of the person and and that, you you know, you know that you where your next meal is coming from and that you have a bed to sleep in and, 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 and heat. Um, it, 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 it never compensates for the loss of the quality of your life and the interactions that you, you know, you, you deserve to have with, with, you know, with, with those that you love in the world around you. So, um, so that was, that was sort of the, the inspiration, you know, sort of the, the legal side and, and watching that sort of evolution. And so, in Canada, um, there was in 2013 again as a result of a series of court cases, uh, and and that was a, a, you know Allard was the, was was the trigger. So Parker was 1992, and and Allard was in you know sort of the mid uh, 2000s. Uh, the Canadian government, uh, on the direction of the um, of the Supreme Court, had to allow for access to medical cannabis for patients, and originally under that system. We only had one producer and there was one authorized producer that was growing uh, cannabis for individuals and then individuals themselves had the right to grow for medical purposes or if they were disability precluded them from growing, they could have a designated grower. And the law was evolving in Canada to expand sort of beyond that model. And what I saw in, in 2013, sort of 2014, 
was I saw a lot of people that were getting involved in the industry. And, and so I guess just to step back for a second, um, you know, personally, where was I at my life when I made that sort of pivot and that, that crystallizing moment? Yeah. So what I, what I saw was that the system to get a license in Canada at that point in time was very difficult. It was, a, it was difficult from a security perspective. So if you ever were in conflict with the law, you probably wouldn't get the security clearance that you would need to get a license. So think about all of the legacy people yeah. uh, that might have been supporting and helping uh, individuals that there was already an instantaneous barrier potentially to their entry into the um, legal market. And then the other part is, is that it was also highly regulated and very expensive. And so if you didn't have access to capital, um, you know, and so if you think about who, who traditionally has access to capital, it's, it's going to be, you know, middle-aged white men um, is, 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 you know, and, and, and that have a background in business banking, you know, finance. And what I saw that I could potentially bring to the table uh, at that point in time was that I, I had certainly, you know, sort of the professional credentials and access, you know, the ability to maybe um, overcome some barriers that might otherwise be in place for folks from the legacy market. Um, and, and to come to this with a disabilities lens, not a finance lens, not a investor lens, not a pump and dump lens, you know, in the sense of this is, uh, you know, the, the green train, uh, you know, that a lot of people thought it was. Um, it turned out not to be the case. You know, I think there's a lot of, uh, there's not uh, any successful, uh, profitable Canadian cannabis companies that are in those publicly traded companies right now, you know, because of a lot of things, but that's an aside and then we can come back to that later. But okay. so I saw, I saw a gap, you know, I, I thought, you know, there, there's, there's definitely a place uh, to bring that advocacy. And at this time, remember too, it was only medical cannabis that was being sold. There was no recreational cannabis and that wasn't even on the horizon or something I had ever envisioned or was, you know, particularly drawn to, but I was drawn to the medical side. And so at that point in time, I remember it very well. It was 2014. Um, I had been practicing law, you know, almost for 25 years at that point in time. Uh, hard to believe that anyone would be taking advice from a 24, 25 year old, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, when I first started my career. Uh, good thing I didn't think too much about it at the time because I would have been paralyzed with the fact of my own ineptitude. But, uh, you know, a little <laughs> life experience and a few years later, um, that, that, I, that you know, Myrna, that, that training, I, and that's a weird thing too, because in the military, it's kind of strange in, in the similar fashion, right? You go through all this rigorous training and you come out and you're like, and, and the institution is saying, here you go, you're ready. Yeah. And, and you're that age that you just said, early mid twenties, and you got other people older, more experienced yes. and younger too, looking to you. And it is, it is a, it is a unique thing. And it's cool that you said, I'm glad I didn't overthink it. Cause I might've paralyzed myself. Cause I yeah. think that happens to too many people. I think too many people overthink things and they become paralyzed. And that's yeah. that paralysis that stops people's lives. Cause I mean, when yeah. I think about it, it's like, if you would have allowed yourself to be paralyzed at that point, maybe we wouldn't be talking right now. Right. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, at, at, and so I, at that point, you know, I was 48 years old and I knew, um, 
I always had a vision and I was, you know, I was very, I had an entrepreneurial spirit. I'd been self-employed my whole life, you know, as a, as a lawyer and I employed other people and, and I was, you know, really privileged and proud to be able to do that. But I also had a very strong belief system. And I, and I, again, this really goes back to, to my parents, but you know, that, that we, we have an obligation to leave the world in a better way than we came into it. And, you know, we, we each have, have sort of that, that level of responsibility. And so for me, I thought, you know, I've always thought uh, that you could do business a certain way. You know, I always believed that you could still be a good business, you know, ethically um, and, 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 and take into consideration, you know, the, the human aspect of your workforce to be a good employer, to be good to your community, to be good to the environment, you know, to, to have that responsible, you know, sort of corporate social responsibility lens. Um, and it was kind of a put up or shut up moment for me, you know, because I thought like I could, I had a very good career, you know, I, and I loved my work and I loved my clients and it was very rewarding, um, uh, you know, uh, personally rewarding work, you know, that would fill the vessel, you know, every day. That's, that's um, significant. Cause that, I think, I mean, I, I yeah. point that out because a lot of people may just hear that and gloss over it, but when it comes to work, the reason why a lot of people are kind of unhappy with work is because I think my, my opinion is that they haven't found fulfillment with what they're doing with most of their hours, five days a week or more. Absolutely. If you it's don't a painful have, place to be, it's a painful yeah, place to be. So I'm super it's happy. A very to, painful, it's a very painful place to be. And you need to have alignment between your values and your vision and what you do every day. You know, that is so important because, you know, money never motivated me, you know, that was never what got me out of bed in the morning. And, um, you know, for, for me, it was, it was, you know, just that sense of, of, you know, doing something in that sense of accomplishment that, you know, every once in a while, you know, you could, it was, you know, you could do a David and Goliath moment, you know, you could actually affect some, some real change. And, and, and that was rare, but, but, having it once was always enough to try for it again. You know, it filled in sort of those, those gaps in between because there was nothing, you know, more rewarding than if you, you know, you had a, a big success for a client and you saw what, what, you know, what dramatic change that made in, in their life. It was, you know, that's extremely rewarding stuff. And so for me, um, you know, I, I, what I felt was that I, along my own professional journey was that I really had accomplished, you know, a lot of the milestones that I set out to accomplish at the beginning of my career. And I, I felt that, you know, I was at an impasse, you know, to, 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 to say, is there something more or different that I can take all of this life experience and these skills and, and, and try something uh, new and, and transformative. And so I found that the, uh, I, I remember as with most of the things in life, you know, I got together uh, some very trusted friends and advisors uh, like that I believed in. And I, I remember I could tell you the day it was it was July 1st. I was having a barbecue at my house and I had been doing a little bit of reading and some you know preliminary thoughts on 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 entering into the industry. And 
I said to that group, look, I, you know, and that was friends and family. I'm, I'm thinking of doing this, you know, what, what do you think? You know, and I was fully expecting at that point, you know, people talked about cannabis in very hushed terms. There was a lot of stigma around, uh, you know, cannabis use and drug use and, and a lot of, you know, but, but I had known personally from what I saw that those, those stereotypes were just that, you know, they were, they were stereotypes and they were keeping us back from something much greater. And I was, I had overwhelmingly positive response. And so what I thought and how I usually tackled most things in my life, I, I, I like to learn, like I, I'm a lifelong learner and I, what I needed to do was I needed to understand. And so I went to the area that I knew best, which is the legislation itself. And I really dug into that and I, uh, you know, I, I educated myself. I learned about, you know, I tried to learn about the cannabis plant and growing and, you know, what were the business pieces that would, would be necessary. And after a couple of months of doing that work, I knew I needed a team. And so I brought together a group of 12 individuals in the boardroom at my office. And, you know, they came from finance background, medical background, construction background, security, pharmaceutical, patient advocacy, you know, every sort of possible thing that I could think of, 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 of guidance that would be needed, you know, quality assurance, manufacturing production, um, what, what you would need. And, and I, I remember saying to the people in that room, look, this is, this is a journey. And, you know, are you, are you willing to go on this journey with me because I, you know, I can't do it alone. And this is, I need to, you know, and if I, this will be the beginning or end of it potentially in this meeting. And I was overwhelmed by the support in that room. And every single person said, yeah, we, we, we trust you. We believe in you. We think this is a really interesting and exciting uh, thing to be a part of. And, you know, we want to, you know, we want to be on, on this journey. And, and to this day, you know, the, the majority of those folks are, are still with us in some capacity, cool. you know, That's some, cool. some have moved on and, and, and I'll, uh, but, but I wouldn't have been able to do it if it wasn't for, you know, that, that first step, you know, that you take, and that's, that's everything in life, you know, you need to take that that first step and that's putting yourself out there and being vulnerable and, 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 and taking a risk. And so we did that and, and we incorporated in October, 2014, um, my colleague, Barbara, uh, I would say my, my, my right and my left hand on this journey were, um, and who are the directors of the company to this day. Um, so Barbara Darby was, was my colleague that I worked with in, in the profession of law. And we had worked together at that point for, I think, 15 years. Um, and she was my right hand in everything I did professionally. And, and I know, you know, in my heart, I know that this was a big departure from, you know, the kind of work that she would have seen herself doing. Uh, but she also was exceptionally brilliant. And, you know, she was the gold medalist when she graduated law school. She had her PhD, you know, her undergraduate degree. She's just exceptionally competent at, at what she did. And so I figured if anyone is going to figure this reg out, it's going to be her, you know, and so we started the application together in earnest um, and, and really pulled together, you know, that side of it. And so if you think about I had her as my right hand on the legal and the regulatory side, and I've obviously had my my own ability in that regard, but but the minute detail was was her and it was always her. And then on the finance side, you know, was uh, Mike O'Keefe and, and Mike. Mike and I actually grew up uh, in, you know, literally one street over from each other. Um, he delivered the paper to my parents' house. 
Um, and Mike was a, you know, a, a public accountant. He had his MBA. He had worked in public and private companies. He was on, you know, directors, uh, was familiar with uh, being in, you know, publicly traded companies, was in one of the top uh, 50 in Canada employers on their management team. And he had all of that sort of gravitas and, and business experience. And, and both of them are just, you know, just truly humble, good people too, as, as well. And so, you know, Barbara used to always, I used to always, and my, I still, to this day, I mean, was the sort of, I want to say our, our governor, our ethical, moral, you know, just sort of always that sounding board to when you're making decisions to say, are you looking at it? you know, through this way. So it was always really good. It was a good partnership between the three of us to sort of say, okay, when we make our decisions, we're, we're always going to look at it from sort of the ethical perspective, the practical, the financial perspective. And, and we were a really good team. You know, the three of us were a really wonderful team in, in, um, in the leadership of, of how we sort of moved the company forward. And then all of, you know, the other players that we had with us were, you know, really exceptional, exceptional people. And so we were very fortunate to have that as our, our early journey, you know, and we, we went through and everything was sweat equity. We, we did this all, nobody was getting compensated. This was people that were literally motivated um, to help people. And so, that was our origin story, you know, and that's sort of how that transition from me being a lawyer to, to going into this business um, had happened. And the licensing process in Canada takes forever. And when I say forever, I mean, literally years. And uh, at that point in time, it's the government was not. No, no, what's a rough yeah. I'm the number of years, like roughly. Uh, it could, it, the, 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 probably one to three years was one taking people. Years. Yeah. Uh, one, well, like one is fast. Like that wouldn't happen. That wasn't happening in my days when it, it, it's quicker now because they have more people processing them. But to give you some color, you know, there were thousands of applicants and in 20, I think it was 24. 15 or 2014, they only processed 12 licenses. So, you know, it was, it was, that sounds it was, intentional. That actually sounds intentional. Oh, it, 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 there's no question. There was a, there was a degree of intentionality around it. There was also, you know, elections and, and, and ah, the changes in yeah. political parties. And, you know, so there were things going on that certainly slowed that process down. But eventually, you know, we, we, and I continued to practice law is sort of part-time, you know, because I, I was transitioning um, my, my, my practice over and, and uh, uh, I, you know, I did that for a couple of years uh, and then, you know, was, was pretty much full-time from 2017, you know, to, to, to today um, or, or really maybe sometimes having two full-time jobs really in reality. But uh, um, so that was, that was sort of, that was the early days. And so we went through and we obviously had to, uh, build the facility, you know, find a place to, to yeah. go to. And that's another interesting part of our story. You know, we, we had to pick where we were going to put this business. And um, what was really important to me, I grew up in a rural community. You know, I, I grew up in small town, Nova Scotia, and we're a very small province and it's sort of in Atlantic Canada. And uh, our economy, certainly in the Atlantic Canadian region has, historically been resource-based economy. So fishing and farming and, and you know, mining. Um, and as you know, as time goes by, those, those uh, resource-based economies are, are harder to sustain. Yeah. And rural communities were starting to literally die. And they're 
there was a community in Nova Scotia that wasn't far from where I live now. And uh, in 2012, uh, they had uh, it, it used to be the biggest employer in, in Brooklyn, Nova Scotia, which was Bowwater Mercy, and it was a pulp and paper plant. And they were actually 51% owned by the Washington Post. And so, yeah, and, and, and so, you know, the, the, the Washington Post folks would come down every year, you know, for the AGM and were, were part of that. And so obviously that was driven by the forestry industry, pulp and paper. And uh, this is manufactured all the paper, you know, for the Washington Post. And in 2012, you know, there was a series of layoffs in the years leading up to 2012. And at its peak, it employed 1,200 people okay. in a very small community of less than, you know, 5,000 people. That's significant. And That's significant. It, it was very significant. It was the employer and it was, uh, you know, the hub. And so I thought, you know what, this, this, this community could use a break. And they could use a new industry and they could use something that was a replacement industry. And we knew that there was infrastructure there because, you know, at, at its peak, that pulp and paper industry um, took up 3% of the province's power. So it had a lot of infrastructure for power, industrial water, commercial water. Um, you know, it had lots of land. It had buildings. It had security and fencing um, in place. And we thought, you know, this is a great place to build our home. And... I remember when we went there and the first meetings that we had, uh, it was a it was a crown corporation that the government had eventually bought out the private company uh, to support the pension plan for the workers when they were, were leaving. Uh, and uh, so the government was kind of left with this, you know, unused large commercial asset, 88 acres. You know, it was a big place. Um, and I remember when we first went there and we said we wanted to put a cannabis company in there, uh, you know, we, we met with resistance and we met with a lot of resistance because, you know, they thought, oh, you're going to, you know, it's going to, it's going to damage the buildings, you know, it's going to be this. And, and, and I'm like, you know, <laughs> you have no idea of the level of sophistication that this production is going to have. And, and I remember looking at the guy and, and he, and look, and, 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 you know, God rest his soul. He's actually gone now. And he turned out to be one of our biggest champions, uh, Joel McLean. But he, I, I, I said to him, I said, Joel, if I told you that I was bringing a pharmaceutical company into the park, you guys would be opening your arms up and saying, what can we do, you know, to, to facilitate you being here? I told you we were an aspirin company or a nutraceutical company or anything else. I said, you know, let, let, let's, you have to be, you're not looking at this the right way. You know, you got to look at this exactly as, as, as what we're talking about, which is, this is medical, you know, this is a medical product that we're manufacturing and, and with all of the standards and care of that. And we'd also gone to the mayor at that point in time, who was a guy named Christopher Clark. And, uh, he couldn't have opened us. He was he was so welcoming, you know, and the, the municipality wanted jobs, you know, and they they because they dealt day in and day out. They went to the grocery store and looked in the eyes of the people that had lost their jobs. And so um, we said, yeah, this is where we want to be. And this is uh, and this is and we worked really hard and we fought hard to, to, to get the right to be there. And and, you know, and, and, and once we did get there, you know, every everything's started to, to come together and, and people were very supportive of the initiative. The other part that we wanted to do was we wanted to hire as many local manufacturers as we could in the production part of what we were doing because 
obviously that's a, uh, you know, that that's a, a lot of work and that's um, really good jobs, uh, you know, for, for the trades folks that were going to be doing that. So we hired a company called HRS and HRS was led by a man named Trent Hutman. And he was a former Bowwater Mercy employee. He, he actually ran the maintenance department and had 90 people approximately reporting to him in that role at, again, at its peak, you know, probably closer to 30 at the, at the end of it. But, um, and so almost all of the people that worked for his company were former Bowwater people. And I remember uh, the day we broke ground on the property, I, I wanted to go talk to the construction guys. I, I wanted to say to them just how important the work that they were doing was to, to our goal and that we were making medicine and trying to help people. And so, you know, to, to take extra care, you know, to take extra care in what they did, you know, to, to make sure that nothing, you know, was left behind in a wall, you know, that there was nothing that might come back, you know, years later to, to be a problem for us. And, and just, you know, that, that what they were doing was so important and that we were so proud to be working with them. And imagine you're, and talking, about was, like, you're, you're talking about like basically industrial hygiene, right? You're, you're cleaning. Yeah. Whole industrial stuff, hygiene. So. Like just, just, just don't, you know, don't, don't, don't leave anything behind, you know, as you're doing stuff, make sure everything's clean, make sure that every seal is, is as tight as it can be every, you know, every, mm-hmm. every aspect of it. Like this is not a, you know, this isn't a, a like just, you know, that not that they don't take pride in their work because they do. And I didn't but mean just, like that. I didn't mean like that. No, I, no, I yeah, yeah, no, but, but it was just, yeah, just, it was just to say, look, you know, this is, this is what, what you're doing because I think sometimes people go in and you have a project and you might not really truly think about the fact at the end of the day that this building medicine that goes to people is coming out of this building, yes. you know? So it's really important that we, we, we take that extra care, you know, to make sure that everything is, is, is good. And, you know, and so, and I remember, you know, and I always get emotional when I tell this part of the story. So bear with me, but it's all right. Um. Don't worry. <laughs> you know, so, so the thing is, is, uh, you know, in the Coast Guard, uh, I got a little bit of training and some experience with a little bit of that. No, by, by no mean an expert, but I know that it is very involved. Industrial hygiene is serious because it's chemicals. <laughs> I mean, you're talking yeah. about, you're talking about things that, that can, that can severely impact someone's health. And so I completely get what you're saying. When you, when you, when I, I didn't mean it like that at all, I'm saying you're, 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 you care that much that you're like, you know what, guys, we're making medicine out of here. And if it's a pharmaceutical company, you'd want it just as clean. So it, it, think exactly. of it the same way. And, and, and the part was, and I remember one of the crew came up to me and this is the part that gets kind of emotional was, and, and he said, he said, look, he said, he said, I have um, a lot of people left the community and his, uh, and his son had left. And cause a lot of people, in Nova Scotia, they go out west for work. And so uh, he had a grandchild that he hadn't seen ever. And uh, he said, uh, I have hope for the first time in years. And uh, that he would be able to see his grandchild. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so it was like, and in that moment, you know, you really felt the, the, the weight, you know, of, of what that community was suffering. 
And it was, it was so important to me personally to, you know, just to make sure that, that we were successful, you know, that, that we were able to make this happen. And I, you know, I always sort of carry that with me. And then we went um, that same day over to the municipality and we, we announced that we were, we were building and it was the worst kept secret in the world at that point in time, because everybody kind of knew that there was something up and, you know, that we had hired this company and, um, but we did our, our formal announcement in 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 uh, Liverpool that day to the to the to the councillors. And I remember driving back to Halifax, which is where our head office was, and that's where my law practice had been. And uh, and we we had said uh, you know that we were going to be hiring people, obviously. And and uh, by the time I got back to Halifax, my inbox was full of people, you know, inquiring about employment opportunities uh, here. And so, you know, that was that was an interesting part. So, you know, we went through the obviously the selection of the community and why we picked there. And I also knew, you know, leaving that I felt, you know, we are in the right place. Like this is the place that we were supposed to be. And I felt really good about that. Um, and then we had to, of course, raise money. And that was something I had never done before. Like I wasn't a corporate lawyer. I didn't do securities work. I wasn't, that wasn't, you know, that was so foreign to me. And so I had to learn a lot. And I remember thinking, uh, and I, and I was not a networker. Like I wasn't one of those, uh, folks that went out and, you know, didn't my, my, my practice grew really organically. And I was, I was, you know, I used to do my work and I would go home at the end of the day and that was, you know, and be with my family. And I, I, so it was a skill that I did not have, or I felt I did not have. And I thought, well, what's I think a good you got day? it. I think if you wouldn't be doing this, if you couldn't network, <laughs> but well, I get what you're it, saying. There's a difference yeah. between there's a there, there, I get what you're saying in terms of like the comfort of it and the willingness to really go get it. Exactly. Like I, you know, it's one thing when I'm telling a story, at least at that point, you know, up to my, in my life professionally, up to that point, it was one thing to be, um, you know, to, 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 to tell your story on behalf of a client, you know, and, and, but when you're, selling yourself you know that's very different and your company and your you know it's a very different feeling and so yeah. sort of fast forward I, I you know a couple of touch points and they all have a U.S. connection um, you know is that I the first conference I went to because I said to Mike our CFO I said look I really do need to get out there you know we have to get ourselves out there and I went to a women grow conference in Colorado and, and that was my first, and they, you know, they went through everything from, you know, how to raise money to how to grow the plant. Like it was a 360 of, of all of the things that are cannabis. So, and I remember on, Myrna, Myrna. So yeah. I, Jane West was a guest on the show yes. a few weeks ago, like in at the end of 2020, 2021. And she's the one that started that thing. She is. Yeah. Her, her and Jasmine uh, were both the founders and I, you know, I had met them and I met a lot of women that went on to become huge leaders in the industry and including Jane and, and, and others. And, and so that was my first introduction. And the thing that was really weird for me too, you got to remember I'm 48, almost 50 at that point. And um, they're all so young to me, right? Like these people are so young and I'm looking around, I'm like this, uh, there's, you know, there's this, this vibe and this energy and I'm like, what if I, you know, like, what am I going to bring to this table? You know, you know and, and, but, but, but trust me, my, my perspective has changed since then. I understand exactly what I brought to the table and I know exactly, you know, the difference between 
the confidence of life experience and the confidence of enthusiasm. And I think that, you know, I think what I, I have, you know, you have that quiet confidence of just knowing and trusting your judgment that has guided you the right way for, you know, for, for 30 years. And, and, and so, but when I went there, it was just new for me. And so I did what I always do and it's more like observe and before I act. And, but I remember there was one guy there um, that someone said, look, this is a, this is the group. If you're trying to raise money, this is the group to get in front of and the fellow's name. And I'm so glad at the time, I didn't know how important it was because I think if I did, I may have not dealt with it the way that I did. And I remember it was the end of the first night that I was there. And I really had kind of laid back for a long time, just watching the crowd, watching everyone. And I thought, okay, I'm going to make contact with this person. I'm going to go introduce myself and I'm going to give them my two minute elevator pitch. Here it goes. You know, and I sort of got my resolve up to do that. And the guy's name was Troy Dayton and he was very nice and lovely man. And I gave my pitch and he said, look, he said, it's really late. I'm kind of tired. What you're saying is interesting to me, you know, about aquaponics and cannabis and technology. He said, but, but can you do me a favor? He said, go back. If you check this website, there's a process, you know, to, to get in front of our organization. If you could fill out that information, that would be great. So dutifully, I went up to my hotel room and I, you know, plugged in that information and I never thought about it again, Miguel. I thought that's, you know, I'll just do that and, and, and see what happens. So I come back to Canada and I still haven't thought much of it. And in my in my spam box, which I check weeks later, was an email saying, would you like to meet for coffee while he was still at the conference, which, of course, I didn't do. And then an assistant followed up and followed up again. And then I thought, oh, my God, they're going to think I'm so rude. Right. And I'm not <laughs> rude. And um, so we we entered into that process. And, and what it was was it's a pitch competition, basically. And there were literally thousands of companies a year trying to get in front of their investors at the ArcView network. And so we went through this interview process and you first you did an application, then you did an in-person interview, then you submitted a video, you know, your video pitch. And then if you got selected from there, you got to do your video pitch and then a Q&A with their lead investors. And then if you were successful from that, you got picked to go to the big stage at, at some of the conferences that they run. And we got picked, you know, and we got picked as one of the 12 companies and we went down to Austin, Texas. And we, we, we went into the room and I remember one of the investors uh, came to me and because uh, we had promoted, you know, what we were pushing was women-led medical disabilities advocacy, uh, veterans, you know, helping veterans, uh, sustainable cultivation, you know, through aquaponics that was environmentally responsible and sustainable. And we were really, really passionate about that story. And the guy came up to me and he said, look, he said, you know, I want to tell you a little piece of advice. He said, you've got such a strong business case, you know, because you're in a region that's under service that you're going to be one of the first movie, like you've got a really good business case. He said, don't lead with that other stuff. Don't lead with the women led and the environment and the veterans, just, it might be a distraction. And, and, and I remember being so profoundly disappointed with that advice. And I talked to Mike, you know, uh, my trusted, you know, friend. And did he say and, why it would be a partner. distraction? Did he say why it would be a distraction? I think that he thought that people would would people were there in his mind, you know, what he thought the lens of the room was, was that people were there to make money and that they might find these social justice and social responsibilities and the CSR side of things, the corporate social responsibility, maybe not as compelling from a business and money making perspective. You know, that that I think it, they're old thoughts. They're not thoughts that actually 
are true. I mean, we now know that companies that are diverse and companies that are responsible, you know, are, are amongst the best operated and profitable companies that there are. And, you know, if you're not motivated by the morality of it, you can be motivated by the greed of it, if that's what your thing is. But, but the morality of it is what you know, was more compelling. Um, and so I remember saying to Mike, I said, you know what, Mike, what should we do with this? And then we reflected on it for not even 60 seconds. And I said, you know what, the hell with it. Um, this is who we are. And if, if they don't like us, they don't like us. We fall flat on our face. We're so many thousands of miles from home. Nobody will know the difference. No, like, so what have I got to lose? We're going to be who we are and that's it. So we went out and we did our pitch. And we were literally followed off the stage and out of the room by people saying, I have been to these for years and I've been waiting for a company like yours, you know, that it was and, and this sort of what we what we were doing. And so that really was an amazing experience for us. And and that led to and we became a finalist and we left there and we raised we filled our round before we even left, you know, left the building, left Austin, Texas. And I get a call in October saying, you know, we haven't had your confirmation that you're coming for the big show, which is at the MJ Biz Conference in Las Vegas. Um, and, uh, you know, we haven't we haven't got the confirmation that you're coming for, for, for that. And we said, oh, I didn't know. We, and said, oh, yeah. She said, like every pitch finalist, we take all the finalists from the year before and they go off against each other in front of the investors at, at this forum. So at that that time, uh, we said, OK, great. We're go, we'll go. You know, where do we sign up? What do we do? And so part of what ArcView does, and it's a really wonderful organization, is they, they give you a mentor that helps you, you know, do a pitch and do the financials piece. And so my first one was a lady uh, when we were in Austin, Jeannie Sullivan, who is very well known, wonderful leader in, in, in the business. And my second was a guy from Canada and his name is Matt Shalhoub. And Matt, Matt was the head of a fund in Canada called Greenacre Capital. And at that point in time, they were the largest fund in Canada that was in the cannabis space. And Matt was so gracious and lovely. And uh, he, he, you know, I gave my pitch and, and he said, you know, Myrna, he said, I'm, I'm actually interested in your company. And I thought, you're just trying to make me feel good. And thank you for that. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, but okay, that's great. And, and I went and I, but it went and did my pitch and, and, uh, uh, and went to Arcview. And at that, we were even more successful, you know, and, and, and we, we were finalists again, the top two uh, for, for that pitch. And Matt took Mike and I, we went for breakfast with his, his partner. Um, and he said, look, I got to get down to your facility, but we would like to make an investment. Now, I know now, but I didn't know then how long it takes for due diligence happen with these funds. It takes months, usually. It, it, it's, it, it takes months and months and months, and it's really hard. And sometimes you get a maybe, sometimes you get a slow, you know, just painful maybe that turns into a no. And so I, I didn't know that. It, and, and this was our first fund, right? This is our first fund that we were dealing with. And so anyway, he said, I'll be down in Nova Scotia on Tuesday. So we left Vegas on Saturday and Matt was there on Tuesday. This is wow. No, November the 17th. Now, if you have to suspend your disbelief, when Matt arrived at the facility, we had only thing we had installed was the safe. Now we had everything else, the footings, all that construction work was ready and prepped to take in what were modular clean rooms that were coming in. But if you walked into that and, and I said, well, we're going to be submitting to Health Canada in, 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 in six weeks, you know, you would have said there's not a chance that you are going to be submitting anything in six weeks. But Matt believed in us. He really did. And he knew that we needed this capital in order to hit that deadline, you know, that December date to do our submission. And 
his team deployed funds to us in 21 days from that site visit, which he said, it number one, it was the fastest they had ever deployed their funds ever for their that fund. And they deviated from their criteria because they weren't at that point in time investing in any companies that touched the plant. So we had, but, but they liked the technology side of things and, and, you know, and, and, and what, what you would do with that. So, um, so here was this, you know, amazing. And then we had, you know, some other big investors, uh, two buds, you know, guys out of the States, again, just wonderful, supportive um, in, investors that came to us uh, out of our few and, and many others as, as well and, and other funds. Uh, but those were the, the, you know, the sort of the big dollars. And, uh, and the, and the thing is, and I'll tell you, this is, you know, you talk about uh, value-based and do you have faith that things will happen as they should? And that uh, we, when we left Austin, there was a company uh, that will remain nameless um, that, that were going to invest in us. And uh, they had signed the deal sheet and the term sheet and everything with us. And this was August. So this would have been just a couple of months before the Vegas situation. Okay. And um they advised us, you know, the day before funds were supposed to come in the account and all the paperwork was signed that, you know, they didn't want to invest or they wanted to, they wanted to invest at a lower valuation. And we, we had no option at that point. We had no alternative, but we said to ourselves, I don't want to do business with people that do business like this. And, that's you know, if you're, because that's kind of a dirty, that's a dirty, that's is, a dirty pool it, at it, that it, point, day before you're supposed to close and you want to change. Exactly. The Exactly. And, and it was like, you know, I, and, and I, that's the one thing I can tell you, you know, from, I, I did a lot of bargaining in my career and, and I learned that people don't get better, you know, in those circumstances, if that's how you're going to start the relationship, it's not going to be a good relationship. And so I we, think it was my, I'm sorry, Marna, there was something yeah. that there was, I think it was my Angela who said, people will show you who they are. Yeah. And believe them. And when they yeah, do believe, they believe them. them and it, it's, it's absolutely true. And so Without having a plan B at that point in time, we said no. And we just said, we're not, and we're not, we're just walking away from this experience. And we had a, a call and I remember there was a, a, a gentleman who was one of Barbara's classmates, uh, Ian. Uh, he had, Kate, I, I, I had a call with him the next morning, you know, and he came in for a, a very good amount of the investment, but, but really what got us over the the top was at Arcview in November when we went, you know, to the MJ biz or October and we got everything we needed, you know, like, honestly, you talk about the life of abundance, you know, you, you know, it was the, the loaves and the fishes of sorts, but we, we got exactly what we needed, you know, at that moment in time. And, and, and I, you know, you're using, I, and, and using I, some scriptural, you're using some uh, I am. new Testament yeah. scripture references. So we're going to get to that later, but, but I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm picking up what you're saying. You're, you're picking up what I'm throwing down. Yeah. So, uh, but, but we did, we had this sort of idea of abundance and, and, you know, I think that that was one thing that my entire life, you know, I, I've done a lot of uh, things and people on the team, you know, for other people. And you, you know, if, if you put goodness out into the world, you know, you get, you get goodness back. And I, and I, and I truly believe that. And so all of these things sort of came together, you know, and just when we needed them, always when we needed them and we had, you know, great support. So fast forward, we get the money, we do the clothes, we do that. We, we get our, 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 our submission is in, you know, on time and we get our license on January 18th. Uh, so less than, you know, less than two months or maybe six weeks. I don't know, guys, okay, so two months, two weeks from when Matt came down uh, from, from Green Acre. So here we go. Now the journey begins, right? You know, you have all of this lead up <laughs> to where you're at. And then, and then we start, you know, we 
we started our journey sort of in earnest on, on, on the 18th of January. And another sort of fortuitous thing, and I, you, I know you're not Canadian, but um, hockey is big here in Canada yeah. and, um, and Nova Scotia hockey is really big. And we have a couple of real big superstars. Uh, but one of our superstars, of course, is Sidney Crosby. And our license number is 87. And Sidney Crosby's number was 87. So we thought, okay, you know, this is a, this is a good sign for us that uh, we, you know, we, we, we get that. And um, so that was, you know, license 87, there's, there's well over 800 licenses. Now we were the number three, we were the third, third license in Nova Scotia. And so we were in, you know, relatively early and we started, you know, our, 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 our journey from there. And we started using, you know, and the other part that people always sort of want to know about is, you know, aquaponics, right? So how, how do we grow and what was important to us about how we grew? And um, so we, we, we started, started that process of, of getting the, the fish ready because you need, so, so what aquaponics is, is basically you use uh, fish um, and, and, uh, for us, we use living soil and living water and the living water is, is from the fish and they provide all of these nutrients. And so you have, and we use koi fish. A lot of people that use aquaponics will use tilapia or salmon or another fish and they'll harvest those fish. But for us, we keep them in the tank. You know, they have a long life cycle, about 25 years and they, but, but it's a very sustainable form of agriculture because what, what you're doing is effectively you're mimicking nature in every way. So you, you're using, you know, the land and you're using the water and you're, you're creating these symbiotic environments to grow. And, and you figure like, you know, nature has perfected how we should grow. Uh, We are the ones that removed ourselves from how things happened, you know, initially. So through crop rotation and all of the things that we would do. And we knew that um, we wanted to grow in an environmentally sustainable way. So, you know, when people think about organic, you think about, yeah, that's really good quality. It's, you know, sort of a, uh, you're using natural ingredients, but it's also very environmentally sustainable because most of those chemicals and things that people use for fertilizers are also petroleum reliant for extraction or things like phosphorus come from very geopolitically unstable areas in our world, like Morocco and China. And yet these are nutrients that we need as a civilization to survive. Um, And so we thought that we would try to create our own nutrients um, and nutrients are also the third most expensive input when it comes to cannabis behind labor and electricity are the nutrient costs. So not buying synthetic chemicals and putting it into our beautiful plant, um, we, we started to use the, the fish. And so what happens is, is that in our system, the fish solids come out. So a lot of people think it's the solids, but it's not. So the solids come out, we put those in a digester and eventually over time, they actually become, they can, we can make that into a supplemental phosphorus nutrient. And we do use that, but you convert nitrite to nitrate so which is the nitrogen so phosphorus potassium nitrogen is what you need are your macronutrients and then all your minor nutrients so magnesium iron all those other minor nutrients most of that our, our system can generate naturally without any supplementation Ooh, whatsoever cool. oh my gosh and so if you think about these fish tanks they're these massive fertigation units and and you know for those in the audience uh, j- just to you know we call them pets with jobs but 
I can tell you that the people that work with those fish, they love those fish. You know, we have a little fish hospital. Like if something happened, we don't, you know, we'll, we'll try to take care of them. We have, you know, stimulation for the fish. We had a, you know, a student from university of Sterling, Scotland, you know, was, was going to work on a, a, you know, just socializing for them. So little games, little things in their ecosystem that, that gives them stimulation and, and, and enjoyment. Um, and then we have our own uh, fish, program for um, our nursery program. So we replace them, our, you know, internally. And if you can have uh, fish reproduce in captivity, that is a very good sign that their environment is conducive to that. And so we were able, you know, to do that. We make our own fish food as well. Um, uh, Danielle Maitland, uh, who is the, you know, the head of our aquaponics program and, and, and Greg, who's an amazing guy as well. Um, but, you know, she's got her, her, her PhD uh, just finishing up in aquaculture. She's a mechanical engineer. She was a horticulturalist, like just really dialing in, you know, the aquaponics system on a commercial. We worked with uh, Acadia University. We had a second site lab there that we tried all of these things before we, you know, put a cannabis plant in. We started with, with amaranth, which was a good proxy at, at a veg stage and a flowering stage. And we grew tomatoes and other flowering plants. Um, long before we ever tried it with cannabis smartly, you know, made a lot of mistakes. Uh, yeah. And uh, we worked with Adam Donaldson from Acadia University, Dr. Stephanie Colombo at, at, uh, uh, at the Agricultural College. You know, she's a fish nutrition expert. And we just uh, and we worked with companies in, in the Netherlands and in Germany and, and brought together and worked on this system. And we really have dialed it in. And we were so proud of it because we've been able to do this on such a large commercial scale. And, and the product is, is, has, has, has been the beneficiary of that. And, and so of our, our patients and, um, it, what we have higher cannabinoid uh, contents, CBG, CBN, the minor cannabinoids, higher potency, higher terpene profiles from people that are growing the exact same cultivar. You know, we, we just literally, you know, blowing it out of the water, so to speak. That is, um, I, Myrna, it, I'm just blown it, away just you describing all this stuff. I'm like, that is really cool. It makes me, it, it, it's it makes totally me go, you know, cool. like, I'd like to own one of those too. That is really cool because that is an amazing <laughs> thing. It, it, it is. Look, I mean, yeah, it's all oh, listen, I, we're so we're so excited uh, to be growing the plant that way. And then, you know, when Jake and what, what I love about our grow team. So 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 Hold on, Mina, let me ask you one question. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt. Go, go ahead. Yeah. Are you guys thinking about doing this for like personal use, like kits by any chance? Yeah, we've been asked. So we, yes. I mean, it, 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 like, I don't know. I mean, right now the focus obviously is on the commercial side of things, but yeah. you're not the first person. Many people have asked, you know, can you do a, a home kit, you know, for the four plants for home growing in, in, in Canada? And you can, you can, but, but it, it's very different because our aquaculture system, you absolutely can. This is possible. It's not, it, 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 it if you are patient, you know, and you will let the, the biggest reason that people get frustrated with aquaponics early on is it takes about nine months for the system to build up all of those good beneficials before you really start to see that accelerated growth in the plants. But but yes, the short answer is, is that we we have looked into it. It's not a immediate priority just because we are literally juggling so many things right now. But but there is, you know, there certainly is the potential for something like that. Um, and the other I think, part I think too, it's cool. I think it's amazing. Oh yeah, no, it is very cool. And the other part is, is that even our fish feed, you know, if the fish feed is proprietary and it's, we're designing it to, to, you know, the nutrient needs of a cannabis plant, because most fish food that's out on the market right now is to make fish 
bigger, quicker, right? For, for commercial purposes, yeah. it's not, it's not for them to have a long lived 25 year healthy life. You know, that's it's, what's, it's, that's, what's cool yeah. about your thing. So even if you got it, so like when I think about it, I'm like, this is a sustainable system that it, absolutely. You, I hope you guys do it in your home, in homes, because I think that's cool. Because when I think about it, it's like, yeah, if I, if I would do this in my home, I would recognize that this is something medium to long-term quality, high quality, yeah. medium to medium to long-term investment. Right. And it reduces, I mean, you've got, I mean, it's cool. You, you, you've helped reduce costs on nutrients by having, yeah. it's, it got me excited and, when you're talking about it. I'm like, dude, I'd like to own one of those. That would be really cool. Well, and we've talked about, think about, think about Northern communities, think about Aboriginal communities, you know, that um, it's particularly here in Canada. If you can have, you know, if you can generate your produce and your fish, you know, yeah. in, in a single environment and you can, you know, there are small kit, like smaller production, you, you can get up to, you know, 300 pounds of, no, I think 300 pounds of fish and 1200 pounds of produce a year out of, out of, you know, out of these systems. But um, wow, that's it, a lot, it, it, oh yeah, no, it's, it's incredible. And then the other part is, is that you think about just, just think about this last year alone, how many fires, floods, you know, the, the, or, or, or droughts, you know, yeah. hurricanes, tornadoes that are impacting our traditional land-based agriculture. Like we, we, and how much are we transporting our food to market? So the fact that your, your, your food is spending 10 days in a truck, you know, going from one place to the mm -hmm. other, the, the fact that you can have literally food that is not, I'm not going to say impervious to climate issues, but, but indoor, you know, so it, it, yes. it certainly mitigates it. Uh, you, it's in your backyard, literally, you know, that it's close to market and, and that you have this ability, you know, to, to have this sustainable agriculture. Um, and, and, you know, I think that the most important, the two most important things, obviously, we need clean water. And we need, you know, and we need healthy food. And we won't, you know, as a civilization, those are those are the building blocks of of, of what we need. And without those things, I mean, the, you know, this the, these systems are capable of recirculation. Now, our system is closed loop, um, which you know we we have we can we can um, recapture uh, sort of the, the what comes out of the uh, the HVAC machines, but. Um, you know, that's part of the design that we have. And there's certain things that we can do to continue to improve our, our sustainability by hooking that up. And, you know, we use LED lights, so we use less power. You know, you can get solar in there. You can get very creative with this and, and really have um, some pretty amazing, you know, pretty amazing stuff around, around the technology. And so uh, for us, you know, we're, we're very proud of that. And the second piece is, is that we didn't stop just at, um, the, the way that we grow. So, and, and we got clean green certification again, another, uh, American, uh, certification specific to cannabis for organic. And what I liked about that certification is, is that it doesn't only mean that we meet sort of the international standards for organic production. So that means no, you know, using organic inputs, no pesticides and making sure that your materials are, that you use to clean your facility are, are, are organic, but also, you know, that you, um, that you're and you're audited and third party tested. So yes, it has that standard, which is terrific. Good, but they yeah. had others, yeah. But they had other things as part of their certification that really aligned with our values, and that was you know fair work practices, uh, no effluents into your waterways, 
um, using um, reducing your carbon footprint by 5% per year, you know, so making those additional commitments to, um, you know, your human resources and your, your environmental resources. So we love that. And, and so they came down, they saw our system, they saw what they were doing, Chris Hook and those guys, and they were really enthusiastic about what we were doing at Aquilitas. And um, so we were the first Canadian company uh, to, to get clean green certification. And we right were on. very proud of that. Yeah. So um, that was another part of it. So having the system certified and, and, and having people come down and sort of see it in action was, you know, we were really, we were really excited to, to, to showcase that. So, so yeah, so we have this really amazing. And, and so, and then I, the, what I was talking about our grow team. So Jake Ward is, you know, and, and Jake won Canada's grower of the year for 2020. What a huge, we're a really small company compared to these behemoths out there and what a tremendous what, honor for the company. How and many, for Jake. Roughly how many, roughly how many behemoths out there in, in Canada at this well, time? There's, January yeah, there's, there's at least 12 companies, you know, at, at, at one point or other that had more than a billion dollar valuation, you know, and, and so they're big, big companies. Uh, but, the, you know, the big players in Canada would be, you know, Canopy um, and uh, Afria, Tilray, which they they had a merger, Aurora, um, you know, Organogram, Hexo. Like there, there's some, you know, there's some big, big players. And yes, there's amalgamation and things like that that are happening. But we're, you know, we're a very small company, you know, compared and, and very under-resourced, but, you know, hitting above our weight class all the time. Um, and, and so Jake, Jake was a 26 year grower and, and, and actually had, you know, more in, in generational growing in his family. And, and it was really, I was so proud for him because you have to remember that legacy growers, you know, there was often a stigma associated with that. And, and, and to be able to, you know, take such pride in, in being so skillful, you know, at, at what you've done and to have that, you know, that 26 years of experience, you know, growing the cannabis plant, pair that with all of Danielle's science. And, you know, we said we've got the art and the science because, you know, cannabis isn't an easy plant to grow and you can't grow that plant well without Jake and you can't grow it well without Danielle. And so, you know, it's that, it's that beautiful sort of, you know, mixture of, of, of really understanding why it works and a little bit of the mystery of why it doesn't, you know, and why it does. And so, and Jake would be the first to tell you, I have learned more ways how to not grow cannabis than I have, you know, how to grow it. Um, it you know, it's, it's true to just as say his very humble nature as well. Um, so, so yeah, so we had this amazing team and, and then, you know, we, we fast forward and, um, you know, we've got this beautiful product to sell. Um, we, you know, and another person I got to give a shout out to is our director of operations, uh, you know, Josh Adler, you know, he came and he joined our team and uh, I guess it would have been 2020, uh, early January, 2020. And, you know, it has, it's, it's just, you know, moves in, in, in harmony, all of the parts, you know, that, 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 that it takes to, get a product out into market, you know, from an operations and logistics and supply and, you know, the quality and, and production side of things. So we've been very, very fortunate, it, you know, not only to have a great team and, and great technology and, and, and great product, but we, you know, we, we felt very supported um, on our, on our journey and, and part of the sustainability process. And this is one of Josh's projects was, was getting ocean source uh plastic packaging we worked with another american company called uh, sana packaging and they're all about ethical packaging as well in the cannabis space and otherwise and as a coastal company on a coastal community uh, yeah. we live on the water so so 
you know, reclaiming some of the, the waste that's, that's in our environment and repurposing it and using it in our packaging. It took almost a year and a half to get that to market because it's not easy to bring new packaging to market. And, uh, but we were part of that. And uh, that's another, you know, thing that we're, we're very proud of as well as just, you know, the, the sustainability. Um, and then Nova Scotia is beautiful. Yeah. It's a beautiful place oh, where you're at. I've, just, I've been to Halifax. I spent a weekend yeah. once in Halifax. It was, it's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful Yeah, beautiful you probably, place. when you were doing in the military, were you in the I Coast was Guard? in the military. Yeah. We definitely, well, and that's kind of segues into our medical side of things because, so we have, in Canada, the the veterans are, are reimbursed for access to medical cannabis. And last year, I think the program reimbursed no, really. about 155. Federally reimbursed? Fe- federally, yeah. Federally okay. reimbursed. They, they, they get their cannabis medicine covered. And last year, the program in Canada reimbursed about 155 million uh, in, in cannabis. And that's excellent. 40%, I love that. That's a nice number. Yeah, it's amazing. And 40% of that was Atlantic Canadian veterans, because of course, you know, we have a lot of the military bases here, the Naval bases here. Um, so there's a lot of military in Moncton, you know, or Mukto in, in, in New Brunswick. So we had partnered up with, with Veterans for Healing um, to do some, uh, you know, some, some work with them. They do peer support for veterans um, who have left uh, the military and have trauma or, or other injury as a result of their service. And that can be combat or non-combat. Um, and so we are their exclusive partner for their veterans brand. And we, we provide uh, all the products, you know, to the, to the, to the folks that register um, from their, from their organization. So that was, and, and, and part of that for us too, was we, We've, we we're really dedicated to medical research. And so we actually just received an import permit and will soon be exporting product to the U S as All part right. of a PTSD study. Yeah. Okay. And we're, 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 and that's for involving veterans. Uh, but we've is also that, exported. Is, yeah, is go that, ahead. Who, who is that? Is that with the veterans affairs? Department it's of all Veterans Affairs. I, 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 I know that the study, I know our participation in the study, um, I don't know that they've announced it, so I won't say the name okay. of the organization. No problem, no problem there at all. But, no it, but, but, it, but I can say it's, it, it is, to, to my knowledge, it is the largest PTSD study that has been approved, and the funding in part came out of Michigan. So uh, wow. it was a it was it was a large uh, it was like I think it's a twelve million dollar study that's being done. Uh, so we are very proud to be providing flour uh, to that study. That that's uh, and 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 you know there's a lot of people that wanted to do that, and there's some you know amazing researchers, and I'm sure you're familiar with like Dr. Sue Sicily and and different you know pioneers in medical uh, research and the U.S. And, and we've been so fortunate. I remember I met Sue originally through uh, actually ArcView, you know, so this is, I always call ArcView the gift that keeps on giving. We, we've met some of the most incredible people um, and, and have had the opportunity, you know, just to, um, yeah, to, to, to work and collaborate. Uh, we're also working with a, a company in Israel called Psyche Medical. Uh, they work with veterans populations there. They have a, a metered uh, dose dosing uh, and we, we provide flour to them as well right. uh, for, for their devices. And, and one of the reasons that we've been successful in having our flour is that you've got to remember one of the other beautiful things about organic is 
it's not irradiated. So when you get our product, you know, most most 90% of the flour that's grown probably in the US, but I can definitely say in Canada, um, because of the growing conditions, um, very often the product doesn't pass for microbials. It's got, it's got, you know, bad bacteria, whether it's mold or yeast or whatever. And so they irradiate it, you know, whether it's gamma irradiation or, or EB irradiation and it, you know, and, 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 you know, we, we truly believe that, you know, having such clean cannabis, and that's the other thing about our, the beauty of our system is that it's kind of counterintuitive, but when you think about it, you have more susceptibility to bad pathogens in a sterile system than you do in a living system. Because the beauty of our system is, is that we have all the good bacteria, you know, we have all the perfect sense, actually. I mean, it does not, I can understand why it could be perceived as yes it could be exactly if people perceive it that way but when you explain it and you say no i mean we have colonies of all of this good bacteria which is impervious to the bad bacteria and the other thing about our system is is that fish they're they're cold-blooded so they can't even host pathogens like listeria and e coli because they're they're cold-blooded so so that you know we 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 have you know we have this these safeguards and i mean our our, our coas and i mean people have marveled they're like like how are these so clean and it's like you know this is the system this is what happens when you bring living water and living soil together the way that nature had intended and this is this is you know i don't know why we're shocked when the simplest things are effective you know it's sort of like weird someone, it's crazy it's crazy you know it's like it's like saying if you eat well you drink a lot of water you get some sleep and you exercise you you know those those are real that, that's might start be to better. feel better you might might start to feel better you might you might just feel better you know so and it's the same with our food you know it's no different you know how we grow our food if if you use you know gmos and you're you're pumping it with synthetic chemicals and you're having salt residue build up and you're not flushing it properly you know it it can it it can impact you and and i literally opened an email yesterday from a, a, a lady in Ontario saying, where can I find more of your product? She said, I have, you know, I have an aversion to, to nickel and something else. And I found that I, I, I cannabis, I, I, you know, I, I can't consume most people's cannabis and a friend suggested yours and I tried it and it's amazing and it really helped me. And I don't have any of those bad effects that I have when I try other people's products. And I, where can I, where can I get more, you know, and, and the number of, uh, you know, testimonials. want to come and get patients. some of that Aqualita's cannabis. Oh, listen, it's, it's, it really, it's beautiful. It it's really delicious. amazing stuff. It, it, <laughs> it, it, it's incredible, you know, and, and the thing is, is like, you know, the feedback that we get from the, from the veterans, from, you know, folks with, with chronic pain, like uh, neuropathic pain, people with MS, um, you know, they, the, 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 the feedback has been amazing. And it's, you know, the dry flower is absolutely what we are known for as being exceptional, but we've got some beautiful value added products like oils and, and vapes and edibles as well. And we actually, again, we partnered with a, another American brand, Kana, you know, on our gummies and, uh, um, and that was an introduction again through ArcView. So we have a lot of connections to the states, you know, with our company. Um, and it's been, you know, really, really nice. And it actually harkens me back to a quick story, because uh, when I was telling you that I had no experience, you know, on the business side of raising capital and, and that side of it, one of the first calls I made was to my cousin, Michael, who was a New York banker. And uh, I said, look, Mike, I haven't got a clue really what I'm doing here. You know, can you give us a little guidance, a little advice? And I, he laughed and he said, you know, he said, 
he said, Myrna, you're, you're, you're going right back to your, your roots of farming and fishing. And I, I thought, my God, you're right. I am. Cause my, my, my parents grew up on farms and, you know, my cousins were all fishermen and, and uh, you know, a lot of them were fishermen. And I thought, you know what, you're, you're right. You know, I'm right back where I was supposed to be all along, you know, which was just, you know, taking Nova Scotia's, you know, resource-based economy of, of fishing and agriculture and modernizing it, you know, in a way that uh, can can help a lot of people, you know, and, and, and make a big difference. It's cool, Myrna. It is very cool. It's, a, it's an amazing story. And I, I mean, it is just the beginning. And he, I do really think it's just the beginning. And, and I've got to make a trip to Canada. There's a, there's a few people that I want to see in Canada. And I just found out that the airport near me, the St. Pete Clearwater Airport flies directly. Oh. Toronto, it's beautiful. It's not Nova Scotia, but it's, it's, get, it is, I, it's so different talking with people who live in a country where it's recreationally legal, medically and recreationally, mm -hmm. than it is in a country it's not. You know, it's, it's just, it's amazing. I mean, it's just, it's... It's act, it's a little sad, but it's it's really refreshing to hear all the success. And 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 I mean, it's you had to work hard. I mean, here's here's the yeah. thing. When when you said there's a difference between, uh, I can't remember exactly the word you said, but it's kind of like a trust or confidence because you have done this for so long. Mm -hmm. And then there's the uh, enthusiasm yeah. without the experience. I'm not saying enthusiasm is great, but well, the thing that's really cool is that, and as I'm hearing your story, I'm just like, wow, Myrna really plans stuff out and she plans stuff out really well. And now it's, it shows, it, it manifests itself and you have this cool company that, you know, I'm like, I'm thinking, you know, this sounds like the future to me. It really does sound like the future to me. I mean, you're, you're talking about multiple modes, doing multiple things with all these potential revenue strings attached to it and all of the, the I don't say all the, I say, and it's minimal impact. It's minimal mm -hmm. negative impact on people and, and geography. And yeah, it's amazing, Mar Myrna. It's, 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 I mean, you're still, I mean, I'm, I'm having a hard time trying to actually explain it. Cause when I'm, I mean, you've said a lot, you've said a lot. I mean, like, nine kids or 81 81 first cousins 87 first 87 cousins, first cousins 87 first cousins yeah and some people would say you're gonna get lost in that mix but no you didn't you didn't get lost in that mix here you are and three decades of practicing law helping special or what was it uh disability vulnerable services yeah vulnerable, vulnerable services yeah and you got a heart for it or else you wouldn't be doing any of this you know Absolutely. what I mean? And, and that's what's amazing. So I kind of want to transition to the second part of the of the mm -hmm. uh, of the podcast here. Of course. Yeah. So um, and I will I'll start off like this. I heard you say, yeah, 87 first grandkids. And you said, you want to talk about a Christian family? <laughs> <laughs> what, what denomination of Christian were you raised as? Roman Catholic. Roman Catholic. So, okay, I understand yeah. that. No contraceptives, right? You can't use yeah. condoms, no birth control, nothing like that. You, you want to have the pleasure, you're going to have to maybe deal with the baby take, too at the same time. Take, take everything that comes with it, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So um, you were raised with in Roman Catholicism. Are you still a Roman Catholic now? 
I would not say I'm a practicing, no, I'm not a practicing Roman Catholic, but I, I certainly uh, consider myself to be a Christian and I'm a very spiritual person. I understand that completely. Um, hmm. You know, I don't want to say bad things about denominations, and I don't. So, I'm, and because I mean, I can tell you, I had a couple of, when you said 87 first cousins are Christian, there was a couple of denominations that popped into my head. Yeah. That are, that yeah, we, are, could have, we could have been one of any. Uh, you know, uh, that's exactly, yeah. uh, that's exactly my point. So, I, and I might, so I don't do this to put denominations down, but I'm, I wanted, I do want to ask you this because I, I am not of the same denomination that I was raised with either. A lot of no. people are not. So, it's not a, it's not a, it's not like I'm, um, I just want to know what you what you experience and what yeah. made you change from from going to Roman Catholicism to to uh, still being a believer in Christ. Are you a believer in Christ? Yes. Yep. Okay. I so do, I do. Yeah. So still being a believer in Christ. What changed? You know what I mean? What like what 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 kind of things happened? So for me, I'll give you an example of kind of what I'm asking. So for me, it was. And yours is going to be different because you, I I'm guessing that you were a believer throughout your whole life where I was raised in a denomination and then I went away and mm -hmm. I could not escape the fact that there's something pulling me back to something much bigger than me, something much greater than me. Yeah. And, and here I am now. So were there, did you ever find yourself where you 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 walked away from your faith at absolutely. all? Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. That's the kind yeah, of stuff yeah, no. like that's what I'm yeah. talking about. Like we hit these things. And I'm not saying that the faith falls apart, but with an organized religion, it's very systematic. It's very systematic, it's very formulated, and it's very, it's very formulaic. And formulas don't always work when it comes to spirituality and your relationship with your maker and your relationship with other people made in your maker's image on this earth, formulas can sometimes help and sometimes they can be of no help. And when I hit those struggles in life, it's not something formulaic or relig religious that pulls me up out of the pit so if you've ever found and i'm guessing you said absolutely because you said yeah mm -hmm. I've, I've and so what kind of things like what were those moments where like what, what was going on when you're like okay i still believe but something's not agreeing with me here in this area yeah, I think you know when for for me uh, the 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 initial pull towards and the pull away you know I I the, so I I grew up obviously the town I grew up with in, in Anakinish you know it was ninety seven percent Catholic it was very homogenized uh, it was it was every fiber of our being you know we didn't even really have any sense of diversity of religion outside of our own and it wasn't out of a sense of you know 
meanness or or exclusion. It's just that there was no experience really outside of that because of the, the way that our, the composition of our town was. And that went through our education system, even though it was public school, we still had religion in school, even though it was public. And then, you know, I went to university, I went to St. Francis Xavier University, which was very connected to to the Roman Catholic Church and 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 it embraced all of the best of the church. It, it embraced at, at, at times we had like the Cody movement, the Moses Cody, which was about um you know, helping workers and and cooperatives with farming and fishing and third world development and you know teaching people to to be self sustainable and 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 help themselves and it was all about service and so all of those things was really hard really easy to get behind you know and to to understand um, a life dedicated to God and service and and helping your fellow person, you know, it was was absolutely messages that was embodied in the community that I grew up with. But as I matured, and I got older, and I saw more of the world, and I saw more of the things that were happening within the structure and institution of the church. So, you know, obviously, we had terrible abuses in residential settings, we had sexual abuse, we had a lot of hypocrisy, and a lot of exclusion, which was not aligned with the message of Christ, which was to serve and love others. It was to serve and yourself and to exclude others. And that was not the message of, of Christ. And that was not the message of my parents, nor was it the message of the teachings of, of you know, the cooperative movement and, and helping others. And so Amen. I had I a very completely, I agree completely. Yeah. So had a very definitive departure because I got older and I was looking at it differently and I was seeing sort of the light peeking through the crevices of the facade of what was the formal institution. And that was not a compelling thing for me. And so I went through whatever stage that a lot of young people go through and you have that rebellion, but never under my parents' roof. You know, I always respected my parents and I always respected their faith because their faith was just so profound and, and it got them through, you know, incredible, incredible things. And, you know, my parents buried three children and, and, you know, you have to have, you have to have faith, you know, to, to literally, put one foot in your pants and, you know, walk out the door and brush your teeth and and be able to function. So out of respect for my parents, for many years, I, I would continue to, you know, participate if I was home, you know, I would, I would still go to church. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, um, you know, do that to my parents, if, if that makes sense. But I had my you own. be that disrespectful. Basically, you wouldn't be that disrespectful to your parents because that's yeah, what it boils do down to. It's like, it, it you want me to go to church? I'm living on your uh, roof? No. That's just, yeah. <laughs> that's just yeah. disrespectful. I, would, I wasn't, exactly. So when I when I, when I I moved away from home, you know, I, I then started to, I think, exercise a little bit more independence and, and thought. And I still had a, I, you know, for many years, I had a, a, a you know, I think a, a, a relationship that I, I compartmentalized initially. So, you know, you, you sort of the things that you don't like, you're going to say, well, I'm a cafeteria Catholic. I'm going to pick the things that I like and I'll not pick the things that I don't like. And of this smorgasbord of what the it's faith. A weird, it's offer. a weird thing being in a religion, isn't it? It, it, it? it really is. And so, you know, but, but ultimately there came a point that the church was doing things that just couldn't align with my values. And I remember what that was. And it was on the issue of gay marriage. And, and, you know, there were things that were being said from the from the pulpit, you know, on that that issue. And, and you know, it was an, it, first and everything was leading up to that because you had the child abuse, you had all of these other things. 
And now it's like, really, you're picking one more, you know, you're actually going to be sitting in a position of what is a healthy, loving relationship, you know, coming out of all of this, uh, you know, hypocrisy around what the leadership in the church was doing around children. And, 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 and it just, it, it was irreconcilable. So it came to that sort of conflict point that was like, there's enough is enough. You know, this, if, if you, if, if, if this is the direction, you know, that the church is going in, then I can't be any part of it. And so I had a pretty marked departure. And I remember going back when that had happened and I spoke to uh, a priest that I, I very much respected and and was a, was good counsel and was you know and and was good to me as a youth in, in in church and I had a very good friend who was a Jesuit priest you know that I went to high school with and I I, I searched you know and I because I didn't I, I didn't do this because uh, when you finally make the decision to actually leave you realize just how much of your person it is yeah. influenced you know, of who you are. And so, and, and I remember, you know, it was, when you, say leave, when you say leave, you're thinking officially, or are you thinking, I'm just going to no. stop? No, going. I mean, officially, like in the sense of never going back, you know, not, not practicing, not doing any of the things that not going to mass with my parents, like that kind of a thing. So when I say officially, I'm thinking like you notify the church leadership. I did. I, t- okay. I wrote that's a letter what, to the That's bishop. exactly what I'm thinking of. So there's I wrote a letter between, to, yes. So that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. It's like, we're, folks, yeah. we're not talking about Myrna just decided to stop going to church. She's saying, I have some things that I need to talk to the church yes. leadership about. And, that's and I did what, that. And, th- and that does happen. Church leaders, they have to be open to that because it's, I think being a church pastor or priest is probably one of the hardest things and i think a yeah. lot of people go into it and they don't know what they're getting into and yeah. it's not easy to be on your end of that conversation or the other end of the conversation but my point is the conversation should happen and that's that's that's, that's what i was wondering it's like did you actually go talk to the no i wrote a letter i did the whole thing i i said that you know this was sort of like the final thing for for me you know that 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 it, that if we're we're getting to the point, you know, that you're, you're, you know, it, it just, it was, it was too much, you know? And so I did, I wrote a letter to the Archbishop here at the time in Halifax. And I remember my, my, my old family parish priest saying, it's really important that you, you, it, you know, you articulate these things to the leadership in the church as well. Like, it, you know, please do that and take the time to do that. And I remember him saying, you know, don't lose your faith and find a place, you know, where you feel, that, you know, that is inclusive or more aligned with, with your values and, and know that, you know, that the, that the teachings, uh, you know, are separate from the institution, you know, that the under the, 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 the basics of, of uh, your relationship with God is between you and God, you know, that That's is, the, and, 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 and that is the, that is the, what is the most fundamental part of it. And don't let anyone stand between you and that relationship. So, you know, I would say that the evolution for me was initially was very, you know, I was, I was, I was a, a you know, I was a, a very dutiful sheep, you know, in my early years, I, I, I sort of went along. Um, but what I, you know, there are things about my community that I, I really love, you know, there is that sense of, of, um, uh, uh, you know, of taking care of each other. There is like, you know, the Catholic Women's League, you'll never get, you know, an organization, you talk about bringing in the army, you know, in times of strife and trouble, you know, they, you know, with, with their prayers and their food and their, you know, just their welcoming uh, embrace is, is, is amazing. Like there's 
lots of incredible leadership of women in the church that's gone unrecognized, you know, for, for many years as well. Yeah, and so sure. that was another, you know, that was another piece of that. And, and, and again, you know, I come back, my parents had great faith and I had, you know, tremendous respect for my parents and, and, and wanted to, you know, do this in a way that wasn't sort of just willful. I, I, I really wanted to be thoughtful about it. And, you know, my, my mother, it, it broke her heart. Like, I'm not going to lie. I mean, you know, it, it, it was, it was, it was, it was very difficult for her, but at the same time she understood, you know, and she understood. Um, and, 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 and I think that, you know, of that generation, I think that they, they, they've done what they can and they, and also have lived their life in service to God and to, to, you know, to their communities and, and, and really honorable, wonderful people. And, and I, I've always said, it's never been the flock, you know, that's the, it's, 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 it's been, it's, it's, it's been the systemic leadership that really has been, you know, say the crevices and, and, and a lot of the corruption. And, and there's some recognition of that. And maybe there'll someday there'll be a reconciliation that is, that, that is, is meaningful, you know, that will, will, will bring peace to a lot of people that have felt disenfranchised and, and rejected, you know, from, from, from their church or, or felt that they didn't belong. Um, I think you said it perfectly when that, when, when, when that pastor friend of yours said, it's about a relationship between you and Jesus. It's not Mm -hmm. about relationship between you and that person. And then Jesus, right. One to one. And, and that's, that's from what you're just saying that's the critical key that's the critical key we're people if we'll screw everything up give us enough time and we can screw it all up we can it's for sure and i remember you know yeah and my my jesuit friend i remember him saying that you know one of the things that that part of the reason all of this horrible uh you know stuff has happened is that also that you know priests were put on a pedestal and and God never intended for priests to be on a pedestal. God intended priests to be the servants of their flock, not to be, you know, emulated. VIPs, not to be VIPs. Yeah. No, that's right. You know, they, they were I'm not saying to... don't treat them well. I'm just saying you're, I get what no, you're but, saying. But, 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 but you're supposed up... to. Sorry, yeah. they've, they've been put up because this is something that, uh, that I do uh, agree with. And uh, what you're saying about it, it's, it's um, it's become something that it's not supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, when you have church leadership abusing kids, women, and even some men sexually. Absolutely. And then taking active measures to cover it up, you've lost your moral authority. Yeah. Now, the church, obvi- I mean, the Cat- Roman Catholic church is obviously a unique thing i think it's kind of straight strange that they're like a city state they're like a city state. it's kind of strange well, the pope he, is like a yeah, president I mean, they, they they have they they literally you know have diplomacy you know they have they have yeah. you know their their estate um they have canon law you know they have their own system of 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 of, of law um and you know they have they have a, an economic undercurrent you know they they have literally bank and and financial um you know systems they have a hierarchy you know it, it's very you know there's a there's a lot there's a lot there and i think that you know obviously there's always good and and, and i think that this is the other part you know, of, of, you know, going back to that difference between sort of the confidence of experiences versus the confidence of enthusiasm is that you also, I, you know, I also understand that things are, are not always 
so simplistically black and white, good and evil. You know, there, there is always going to be some measure, I think, in the human condition where, um, you, you, you know, you have, you have some complexity. Um, but at the end of the day, the choices that we get to make are the ones that we need to be accountable for. And so if you make the right choices or you make bad choices, you know, you, you, you have to, you know, there, there will be a reconciliation, you know, you need to be accountable for what you do in this world. And, and, you know, I think part of that is the consequences of, of what happens, uh, you know, when, when people leave the church, you know, that is one of the consequences of, 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 of that. And, um, you know, and I, and for those that stay and, and, you know, fight the good fight, because I know people that have done that, you know, I, I admire that, but, you know, it was just not something I could do and it wasn't for me and it was not healthy. And, and, and so, yeah, you know, I think you, you, you do that pivot and transition transition and you, you know, you, and, and, and for me, uh, it still comes down to service. Like, I think that some of the best way that you can, you know, you can embrace whatever that message is, is to serve others, you know, and to, 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 to come and, and from, from, from that place. And it's, you know, it can be extremely, extremely rewarding to do that. So Myrna, you did the official thing with the pastor and you told your parents what was, what was coming. And what happened next? I mean, you know what I mean? It, it, no, it was, it was hard. I mean, I remember at the time I had very young nieces and nephews and they were, you know, I think the younger people in my family got it very quickly. My siblings got it very quickly. And even my parents got it. I, I think that it was just, it was more, the disappointment wasn't in me. The disappointment was in the church. I'm you know, I, I, I'm following you. Yeah, they, they, they understood yeah, like your my, reasons. My, my, they understood you know, my, reasons. My, my parents have always been extremely uh, generous and um, yeah, no, they, 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 they understood. And, and, you know, and the thing is, is that I think the part for them is, I mean, obviously, you know, they, 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 they love their children. I mean, it's unconditional, you know, and so, um, and, and I, I, I was never fearful that way. And that was never a concern, you know, that it, it wasn't, it wasn't a concern about how they would perceive me or whether they would think less of me or whether they would reject me or anything like that. That was never, that, that's not how I, you know, fortunately they equipped me well enough with who they were, that that was never the concern. I think the concern was more, how would it impact them? You know, because how would other people perceive that, you know, and, and what that meant about them as parents, you know, that, that it is. So it was, that that was the part that I struggled with. It wasn't it wasn't actually about how I would interact with my family or my family would interact with me. I've never had a day in my life that I haven't had the full support of my family, um, and I'm grateful, you know, for for that. But but it yeah. So I mean, I think I think there was a there was a period of time, and then there was just just general acceptance that that's where we were. You know, that's that's sort of that's that's where we were with it, and and we were all okay with it. That's cool. That's encouraging, Myrna, because sometimes people don't have that kind of support and they, they're, no. off, they're, like, they're exiled as the, as the no, excommunicator. Right that's, that's encouraging. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it, it does. It's, it, it's very hurtful. And I mean, you know, I think that, you, I think the, the, the reason that I'm, 
you know, able to do what I'm able to do is because of that foundation. I mean, it, you know, you, you have to, that's a, that's a pretty, a, a pretty glorious place to, um, you know, to, to be able to venture out into the world, you know, having that support system at your back. And I'm, and I'm, Catholicism has done a lot of good for people. I'm, I'm obviously, I'm third generation on my dad's side from Mexico. So mm -hmm. Catholicism, Catholicism has a big footprint in Latin America. And, and that was one of the things that it was really known for was for helping people in need, mm -hmm. all kinds of need, yeah. whether it was demographic need or spiritual need or whatever kind of need they were notified. They were, they were known for helping people in need. And then things just kind of changed. You know, it's just kind of, I mean, I'm sure things were, I'm sure things were going on then too. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And Absolutely. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. But to the, to the, to the level of deceitfulness and corruption that now something changed. So I don't, mm -hmm. I'm not saying that the Catholicism is all bad. I'm just saying that something's obviously changed. And I don't think, I think I will, I'd like to hear it go back to, to, to preach the message that you said, love one another. It's yep. between you and your maker. It's between, it's a, it's a one-to-one -one relationship. Absolutely. All right now, Myrna, I know you're a trained lawyer, so I got to make sure we make this distinction here when I ask this next question. And that is, is this life a free ride? And I'm not talking about civil law. I'm talking about the spiritual side of things, because as a Christian, you understand that there's sin, the noun and sin, the verb. And Christ dealt with both sin and noun we're born into it. it is in our blood can't do anything about it ourselves it's a it's a an unfortunate and devastating side effect of self-righteousness so i'm not talking about civil law but what do you think is this life a free ride and is, and, and i'm guessing i have a i have a, of course i have a good idea of what your answer mm -hmm. might be but i don't know because people always surprise me so do you, what that really means is, do you believe in a life after this life? And if you believe in a life after this life, is there something that, pe oh, let me put it like this, because I know you're a Christian and this is different. Do you believe that as a Christian, there's a payment from you upon death? I believe that, you know, it, it's an interesting question. And I guess if you start with original sin, you know, and you, you're, you're looking at it from the, you know, from the philosophical way that you've sort of set up the question, um, then you also have to believe in choice, uh, yep. because if you, you, you can't have one without the other. And so to, to me, one of the this is where the gray comes in for me, and I will tell you this. For someone like me, who literally, I think, grew up in a very, um, I don't want to say idyllic, we had our struggles, there's no question about that. Um, but I grew up in an environment where I didn't have to worry about a lot of the things that other people in this world worry about every day. And that may be, you know, where they're going to get their next meal, you know, they might have had a parent that was abusive to them, they may have had circumstances in life where they didn't get the same start that I did. So I'm a little less uh, aligned to say that the choices that I get to make in life as a person and the choices that someone who may not have had the same start in life that I did, um, I don't judge them the same way I hold a standard to myself. So what I would say to you for me, 
understand you're speaking for yourself only no one else you're speaking and this is exactly what that's perfect i got completely understand for for me it's cool marna for me yes i absolutely have a responsibility to make the right choices and if i don't make the right choices with everything that i have been given i have done a disservice to myself to my family to my community and to my god you know, I, because I've had every opportunity to make the right choice. And with being given such a smooth road, if I have deviated from that path and I have, you know, in a meaningful way, and that, because I think that we have to deviate from the path to come back to it. So it's not to say that I live a life without mistakes or I live a life without That's sin. The product, I think we're all prodigal sons and we're all prodigal right. daughters, right. all right. of us. So, 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 so to the extent that I have been given a fairly level road, I have an absolute obligation, you know, to make sure that I live my life in a way, you know, that is, that is, is true to, to, to that and to live and to live a life in, in service as well. And, and to be good to other people. And, and I, you know, I think for the most part, I've done that, you know, I think, I, I think that, you know, even taking it back to this project, you know, you, you don't, it, it's not a coincidence that you have all of this support and you don't, you don't put the currency out there at the time thinking, oh, I'm going to get something, you know, from this good deed in the future. If that's your intention, then you, you've, you've negated anything that was good about that deed. So, so what I would say for me is absolutely, you know, there, there is a, an accountability that goes with the choices that I make. And if I make bad choices, you know, at this point in my life that are, that hurt other people, especially like, I think that's, you know, because some people make a lot of bad choices, but they only hurt themselves. But when you make choices that hurt other people, then you're elevating sort of that level of accountability and what responsibility that are you going to have, you know, in, in the hereafter. And what I would say to you about the hereafter is, is that, you know, my parents absolutely believe in a hereafter and they believe in, you know, the riverbank at which you were going to join and, you know, clutch hands again and be together as a family. And I think that that's part of the reason that my parents, that I think that the part it was, it was my mother, because my, my dad had actually passed by the time I had made that conscious decision to leave the church. But I think for her, and I had this conversation with her, it was never, it was, it was more the fear that we would not be united together in heaven if you didn't take the exact same path that, the, that she took. And I, and in that conversation with her, I remember saying to her, you know, if you believe in me and you believe in God, then we will be together again. Because there, you know, it's not, it's not about it. Like for, for, for me, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know that it's tangible. I completely and understand. So, it's a mystery. Yeah, you know, so, so, so for me, I don't, I don't, in my mind, I actually don't have that same, we will be together again. But what I do believe in, and I, and I, and I, and I truly believe that our, 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 our actual afterlife is not so much you know, this concept of what people may have from a Christian value system. To me, our afterlife is is our legacy that we leave behind. And our afterlife is maybe the legacy that we leave in our children. And so, you know, if you if you have that spirit, like the the eternity of your influence is is really what did you leave behind in the world that continues after you? And so it, it may be, you know, that, that there is that intangible, you know, that we meet on the banks of heaven and we're all together again. But for me, I, I think that the part that I have absolute confidence in is that what you leave behind 
and that legacy is as is 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 as much sort of part of that um, the afterlife, you know, and the extension of that uh, of that afterlife. All right, all right. I'm following what you're saying. I'm following what you're saying, and I think it's pretty cool, Myrna. I think you've had a really unique life, and it's it's just amazing how one thing. And, and how you took all this, you have this, I mean, there's no doubt you have a bend towards helping people. There's no doubt that you have a bend towards care, whether it's people, whether it's the environment, or whether it's employees, or whether it's anybody. There, you, it's plain to see that there's a bend towards that in you. And that, so, so when, when I heard your answer, I was like, I can see why Myrna has that answer. I can see why, because that is your drive. And I get what you're saying. It's like, it's kind of, and I use that prodigal son, prodigal daughter, because the prodigal son wasn't a certain, he was, he was, he belonged to a very wealthy family. Yeah. I'm not saying that about you. I'm just saying this is, this is the, yeah. the scripture, right? And he was still like, you know what, dad, I can't wait for you to die. So I can get half mm -hmm. my inheritance. Yeah. So can you just give it to me now? And that's like, you know, we were talking about, you were talking about, you know, I would not disrespect my parents that way. This is a, this is in the, this is recorded in scripture. Mm -hmm. Terrible. Jesus said, yeah, that's ultimate disrespect. And then you put in the context of being a Israeli family with all that that means and all that that means to the 10 commandments as well. Cause that was a standard for Israelites yeah. at that time. And that's pretty disrespectful, beyond disrespectful. Mm -hmm. You probably should have been stoned to death. Mm -hmm. But in, in the Bible, they have these rules. It's like, yes, if a child does this, you're supposed to stone him to death. But there's no record of a parent stoning their kid to death in the Bible. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it yeah. never happened. I'm just saying there's no record of it. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of interesting. So I say this because I hope that there's some listeners out here who are understanding the full impact of family and choice and caring for people, for loving one another, they all have deep foundational roots inside each and every one of us. And when I was hearing you say, if you have all these opportunities and you just don't take them, what happens? It's like, you, it's like you're, you're damaging your legacy. You're, you're not helping people the way you could be. And that That's is right. what's going to multiply. The hope is that that multiplies just like reaching somebody on the internet, right? That's like that, that pays that that goes forward. And somebody says, Hey, you know what? That person did something really nice for me. And I have never forgot it. Mm -hmm. And it actually is inspiring me to go and do some things like that too. Yeah, that's the that's no, the kind of, you know what I mean. That that's actually exactly what we're talking about. That is yeah, literally no, what I, we're talking about. I, I, absolutely, you know, and like I say, my my parents, like my my brother and my my siblings, we we've all like my brother was a teacher and a coach, and you know, we all sort of did a lot of things in our community and a lot of volunteer time. You know, I have a son, I have a partner. You know, people were always very, you know, you you just you want to be. Um, yeah, in, in, in service, you know, and, 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 and services, it, it's a, you know, I, I, it sounds kind of corny. A, I know it sounds kind it of, does, corny, it, it does. And, and I remember, I remember like my mom, my mom had Alzheimer's and, um, you know, and, and I remember when, 
she was finally sort of taking that transition into care. And you had that moment, you know, where you were, I was, I, I was more sad in that moment than I had been even when she passed away, because I knew at that point, everything was going to be different. And I remember having such gratitude, you know, for the time that I was able to do some things for her and my siblings were able to do things for her because it was, you know, that, that idea of so much was done for me. And the, the whole idea of when I say, you know, I've, I've had so many people take care of me in my lifetime, you know, and, and, um, and so I don't like, it, it's not a, it, 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 it's, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to do. You know, it's yeah. a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a privilege. And, and, you know, you know, personally how much comfort you get when other people care for you and, and you, you can only expect that they get the same level of, of, of experience when you care for them. And, and people, people aren't stupid. I mean, people know when you're authentic and genuine and when you are, you know, when you're trying to do something um, and, and it's unconditional, you know, because, to me, at the end of the day, the most important thing that you can ever bring to the world is unconditional love. And if you have unconditional love, there, then then you will live a life of absolute abundance. And 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 you know, and 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 it doesn't need to take any type of you know objective material form. I mean, that abundance is is that you know you give love and you receive love and, um, and with no strings attached. And and that is the greatest gift that you can give. You know, there is nothing better than that. Amen, Myrna. Amen. That's cool. Because, you know, what? Uh, not everybody will say it like not everybody can say that. I think there's mm-hmm. not many people. I, I won't say that. I don't I, I, I am more optimistic. I am more optimistic. I just I'll put it to you like this. We all feel that inside of us. And I, it's my hope and prayer that more, more of us express it in a somewhat similar, in the same vein of what you just said. You know what I mean? Because that is it. We all feel that. That's why we get mad at each other because we're, we're disappointed that we weren't loved in some way that we wanted to be loved. Mm-hmm. So we turn around and do something nasty to somebody, say something yeah. nasty to somebody. And it's because we were damaged first. It's a That's weird, right. it's a weird, wild life. And I agree with you. There's a lot of, it's, 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 it's and I'm not talking civil law. <laughs> spiritually religiously there's all kinds of there's all kinds of belief systems out there and the thing that that really stood out about christianity to me because i walked away from it i did i walked away from it and i do get what you're saying when it comes to legacy because it is important and i think the cool thing and this is not just cool just amazing it's just a loving god because even if somebody screws up their whole life even on their dying, even on their deathbed, they have until their last breath to allow their maker to love them. Because that's what being saved, when they say metanoia, like repent, metanoia, it means changing your mind. It doesn't mean say you're sorry. It means change the mind about, change your mind about the way you're thinking of God. Instead of thinking of God as somebody who had you under the 10 commandments, because that's what the old covenant was, you had to try to earn your right to be good with God change your mind to thinking that you don't have to earn your right anymore mm-hmm. here is the here because it's impossible no one can do it and the bible's full of all the failures all the people that yeah. tried to do it and failed and it's plain their their failures are not they're not concealed they're not like these people were so holy and and that was the end of it yeah so they yeah. screwed up we all screw up we all screw up and that's what's that's what i find 
amazingly beautifully loving about our maker that he won't a bruised reed he will not break somebody on their deathbed they still have up until their last breath to say i allow you to love me mm-hmm. that's pretty cool and that's that's amazing it's amazing life myrna you have an amazing story i still don't feel like i feel like there's so much more we could talk about <laughs> i think there's so much more we could talk about because 30 years of law alone in law alone doing what was it disabilities so, yeah disabilities? vulnerable services sector so disabilities mostly disabilities but vulnerable vulnerable populations folks that's basically. hard work it's very hard that's work. hard work you're seeing people having their worst day you're every day you're almost running into somebody having their worst day on purpose you're doing that because mm-hmm. people are having that much that much trauma in their lives and there, there's that many people that are struggling with that much stuff and to do that I think you definitely have to have a destiny and a calling in your heart because some people go into it and they can't handle it. They go right back. Yeah, no, for sure. So this is why, so when it comes to the the legacy thing, I I couldn't help. And I didn't say this earlier, but while you were talking, I was like, she's really talking about her destiny. She's really talking about her destiny. It's like all these things. She recognizes that she's walking in her destiny. And that that's why I couldn't, get away from as you're saying all these things. It was pretty cool, Myrna. All right, Myrna, we're going to close out, but I know Aqualitas is an amazing thing. Is there anything you want to share with anybody listening before we sign off? No, thank, thanks for inviting me. And, uh, you know, thanks for, I've done a lot of interviews and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it's very refreshing to, uh, to, to, to go this deep, you know, and, um, and, and to, to, to figure out what the true origin of the story is. And uh, it always comes back to that one thing, you know? And so, no, thank you. I, I, I appreciated our time together and, and uh, you, you've been, uh, you know, it's, it's been, it's been very enlightening and, uh, and I appreciate, uh, I appreciate the forum you're, you're putting out there. Thank you, Myrna. I appreciate you and your time because like I said, I was like, it's been maybe what, maybe just under two hours, about two hours. And I'm like, yeah. wow, there, there's still a lot that Myrna could say about a lot of things to people and, and it'd be good stuff. So thank you very much for your time, Myrna. This is the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. My name is Miguel Torres and our special guest is Myrna Gillis, CEO of Aqualitas. Check it out. Myrna, you want to say goodbye to everybody? Goodbye, everyone. And uh, <laughs> bye, Miguel. It was hey, I'll say this for you pleasure. too. We all love you. We love uh, you. Lo- love you too. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.